All right, well, I uh, hate to end your talking party, but I'm going to do that. Uh, so go ahead and find your seats if you haven't already. Good to hear the chatter in here. And like Stan said, it's pretty much the first time we've been able to do meet and greet in quite a while. So to be able to gather is a blessing. And I think uh, there's quite a few things in our world uh, right now that kind of make us realize that it is a blessing to be part of uh, God's family. And it's a blessing to be able uh, to gather. And so anyway, uh, for the sermon today, excited to be able to uh, talk through uh, Matthew 5, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount with you guys. And actually was going to start the service uh, with having those of you who had had any sort of conflict in your life over the last year, I was going to have you stand up. But then I realized that everyone in the room would be standing up and it'd be like, we're going to do worship again. And so the reality is we all have conflict that has happened in our life, within the last year, within the last week even. I know there's multiple interactions with staff members talking through different things, uh, different interactions uh, with friendships in my life to where it's like there is a constant opportunity in front of us to work through some sort of conflict. Because the truth is we're, we're born sinners. The truth is we live in a broken world. And so conflict is really a byproduct of us breathing on earth because we're sinners in a sinful place. And even right now, we can probably think of some different friends that maybe we should have some things to talk through, or family members that maybe there's a little bit more distance from them than we would like, different things with coworkers maybe, or employees where they're not following policies, and that's really frustrating you, and you can't understand why they're not doing it differently, but rather than talking through that with them, it's just kind of creating some inner bitterness, and I think we all have a lot of conflict in our lives that, that happens over and over. It's just a matter of, do we do anything with it? And so this morning, we're going to be able to go into Matthew 5 and see Jesus' words on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about what it looks like to be salt of the earth. He talks about what it looks like to be a city on a hill, to be light in the dark world that we live in. And part of us being that as a church body is knowing how to work through and walk through conflict as it happens in our lives. And so the big idea for the morning is Jesus calls us and equips us to restore relationships. Because the gospel is real. Because God can transform our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls us and he equips us to restore relationships. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we'll begin going through the text with one another. Um, so, dear God, uh, we just thank you uh, that we can be in here uh, this morning looking at your word, uh, gathering, uh, worshiping with one another, God. And, Lord, we do want to just come before you right now uh, with our hands open. And even in this moment, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to think of those names of different people or different situations that's created some tension and conflict in our life, God. I pray that we wouldn't be prideful, but that we'd be humble. Be able to have those names in our mind's eye. Be able to see what your word calls us to do. And find restoration, God. Because you've called us to it, and Lord, you equip us in it as well. In Jesus' good name. Amen. We'll go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. And we're going to be starting in verse 21. Uh, and as you're turning there, I'll just give you the outline of the sermon. There's going to be a couple realizations that we're going to be able to see in the text and then a response that we can have as followers of Christ uh, to those realizations uh, that we're seeing. And the first realization 
is that a mean spirit and murder, they take you down the same road. And so we're going to read through the text together and see uh, where that shows up. And so starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think we can easily get on board with that one. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will also be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put, you be put to prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So I think as we look at that, one of the first observations we can see in the, the text is that Jesus is reminding those hearers in the crowd, those disciples of his, he's reminding them that they, if they're going to murder someone, they're going to have to pay for that. Someone who chooses to end the life of someone else, they are liable to judgment because of those actions. And we can see that in the Old Testament, in Exodus, uh, it talks about uh, in 2112, uh, whoever strikes a man so he dies shall be put to death. So it's not a new idea for them that if they're choosing to end someone else's life, they are liable to some sort of judgment. But we also see in this text that Jesus is also revealing this often overlooked aspect of judgment when he's speaking to the crowds and the disciples and he's holding them accountable to the actions of their heart. And so if someone is angry with their brother, if they're holding resentment towards their brother, holding bitterness towards someone in their family, someone uh, that they had been friends with but maybe aren't friends with anymore, if you're holding uh, unrighteous anger towards them, then you're liable to judgment as well. So he's saying, yeah, you're, you're liable to judgment if you're killing people, but you're also liable to judgment if there's an unrighteous anger towards someone. Because sometimes we can be righteously angry. For the injustice in the world, we can be angry with that in a holy sort of way and be spurred on to love people differently and to set the example as followers of Christ. But here, the sort of anger uh, that we're talking about is when someone is angry with their brother, they are liable to judgment. I also see in verse 22, uh, we're liable to counsel uh, where there are insults. And even we're liable to the hell of fire, it says, when there's the knocking of character through calling someone a fool. And so not only is there sort of judgment when it's physical actions, but also when there's murders of the heart, Jesus is saying, you're liable to judgment with that. And that wasn't a new expectation for the people of God hearing this at the time either. In Leviticus 19, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself I am the Lord. And so what Jesus was doing, he's helping the crowds, he's helping the disciples see that how you treat other people matters. How you interact with other human beings on planet earth amidst our sin, amidst other people's brokenness, how we interact with people 
does matter. If we're going to be an example, if we're going to be a city on a hill, if we're going to be salt, if we're going to be light, how we interact with other people matters. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It shows what family you're part of based off of how you treat people. But beyond that, Jesus is teaching them that a mean spirit and murder, they eventually take you down the same road. They take you down the road of separation. So if I'm frustrated with someone else and holding bitterness and maybe we have harsh words with one another, that creates kind of a natural separation between me and that person. And so a mean spirit and murder are similar in that they lead to that road of separation. But it also leads to a road of judgment and where we're held accountable for how we interact with people. And sometimes we're held accountable to that judgment here on earth, but also in our death as well. And so how we interact with people, like it or not, how we interact with people really does matter. And we understand that because we all have had kind of that murderous feeling in our heart where we've had some verbal phrase that we say, when we're in a moment of weakness or we're tired, we're not really thinking, or something surprising just happened that was unexpected, and then all of a sudden you, you kind of go into like verbal violence mode, and you realize after you see someone's response to what you said, and you realize, oh man, like, that was cutting, that was unloving, that hurt them. And with that, that verbal violence that w- would happen there, that sort of stuff is what we're held accountable for as well. And it's not only in that way, but also through being silent. Sometimes there's things that we know we should talk through, but because we're timid or because we're fearful of what someone else's interaction would maybe be with us, how they would receive it, we then, we still see them around maybe, but then we avoid the topic, or we physically just keep ourselves from being around them. And that is a type of separation as well. That Jesus is talking on. And so we understand this idea of how a mean spirit and murder lead to the same road. Because we've felt that before in our own hearts. I can think of times when I was a teacher for a couple years. And I was teaching at a Christian school. And some of the high school seniors, the, the guys, they just, they were kind of just doing their thing. And I would go off on them a little bit. I think I compared them to like elementary girls or something at one point And which they were acting like young children, but I said it in such a way that wasn't received well. And so you better believe the next day I was like, man, I really probably should say something to these guys about how I blew it. I should have treated them differently. If I'm a follower of Christ who's encouraging them to be discipled and go make disciples, I need to be able to own that. And so I've had moments in my life where it's like verbal violence, and I just am using my words out of frustration, out of anger, out of bitterness, and tearing other people down. And as a result, liable to judgment and separation from those people because of how I treated them. And we can do it through not saying things as well, through silence. But they're similar in that they both create a separation. Murder obviously creates a separation. But so too does murderous acts in our heart. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, to his twelve, to the others in the crowd that had gathered on the sermon on the mount, and he's helping them see that sin in their life that's like, yeah, you need to be able to work through conflict. 
Jesus shows that a mean spirit and murder, they lead down the same road to separation and to judgment. The second realization that I think we can see here in the text is in verses 23 and 24, which we'll uh, read again. And that realization is worshiping God while at war with another is more or less worthless because of hypocrisy. And so let's read 23 and 24 together. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Generally speaking, offering gifts to the Lord is a good thing. We can see in the Old Testament God's call on the people of Israel to come before him and to make sacrifice, to bring him glory, but also to confess their sin and to be a repentant people and admit how they are wronging their relationship with God. And so we see in the Old Testament that attitude of surrender before the Lord and offering sacrifice before the Lord. We can look in 2 Corinthians 9 and see that it's a New Testament thing as well, where Paul is challenging the the churches of Corinth to give generously. Out of a pure heart, out of a generous spirit, give. We can see in Philippians 2, Jesus laying down his life in an act of humility, offering himself before the Father. Romans 12, offer your lives as living sacrifices. Offering our lives as a gift to God. Good thing. But then when we look at verses 23 and 24, what do we see? Jesus is calling them to not sacrifice and to not just do church. He's challenging them and saying, rather than showing up to church, giving your money, raising your hand in worship, serving alongside one another. Right now, what the best choice for some of them, he's saying, was to not show up. which at first doesn't seem like the Jesus that we know. Hebrews 10 talks about how the church should not neglect meeting with one another. Haggai 1 talks about our need to build up God's house and not our own. Gathering is something God calls us to, but here Jesus is saying don't offer sacrifice in this way for a reason. That murderous heart, that mean spirit, that conflict doesn't display unity, and those hidden tensions really are hypocrisy as people are coming before the Lord. And so Jesus bluntly says, don't show up to give when you're at war with your brother. And it kind of reminds me of a parent-child relationship where there's, we'll say, a father in that family, and he keeps affirming his son, who I named in the last service Billy, so we'll just use that again. Great son name. And he's, he's talking to Billy, and he's like, oh, boy, I really do love you, son. I'm thankful for you. And he's like, oh, great, Dad. But then really what Dad is doing as far as what Billy experiences, even though Dad's saying those things, maybe Dad just keeps missing the ball game, And Dad isn't having those important conversations that fathers should have. And dad isn't setting a good example in how he treats his wife. And dad doesn't pursue Billy's heart to help Billy know how to be a godly man. And so if that father is saying that, well, that's what the the life looks like. It's like, why even say the comment? And so in a similar way, that's what we see happening here where Jesus is saying, well, don't show up to offer a gift Like, if the church's role is to be salt, to be light, to be a city on a hill, if that's the call on your life, 
sometimes, maybe what you need to do, rather than showing up on Sunday morning for for salt company students, showing up on Thursday night, maybe better than showing up to that would be driving to your hometown and working through some past conflict with people that you have bitterness towards. Or maybe it's saying, hey, I'm not going to go to the service this Sunday because there's actually a meeting that I have to have with someone else within the church. And before there is that willingness to work through that conflict, if we're showing up here on Sundays and Thursdays with this attitude of, oh man, so glad to be here, so good to see you, so thankful that we can worship the Lord together while we're holding and harboring all this bitterness and anger in our heart. Jesus is challenging, like, why come? If that's our posture when we're showing up, when we know there's conflict to work through. I was emailing Todd a little bit because he is a, a wise wise guy when it comes to uh, reading God's word and understanding it. And he's one of the elders in the church. And so I was emailing him about this text. And he was like, it's almost like friendly fire. Like friendly fire is one thing in a battle if it's accidental. But it is a completely different ball game if it's a friendly fire where it's like, oh, actually, I'm going to turn and aim at this guy that I'm fighting the same battle with and actually take him out. That is a different sort of friendly fire. And so in the same way that would inhibit a military from being able to progress forward, so too the people of God and the church were going to struggle if we're full of friendly fire as well. If church is a war zone, I don't think it's really being a city on a hill. A mean spirit and a murderous heart take you down the same road to separation and to judgment. And worshiping God while at war with one another is worthless because it's hypocrisy. And so I think we see these two realizations in the text so that we can have a response. And we can see in 25 and 26 that the response of the people of God in conflict is that we would have restoration. That even though there might be that mean-spiritedness within us, even though we might have worshipped in our past while being at war with other people within the congregation or outside of it, today the word for us is, as believers... Our response in conflict ought to be restoration. It's the most gospel-centered thing we can do when it comes to the dynamics of relationships with other people. 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put to prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Restoration is possible. There can be freedom in conflict. There's the ability through going to an accuser and working through that conversation to find restoration. So we're seeing that restoration is possible And in a way, we're also seeing that restoration is worship. We bring God glory by working through the hard things. Because the more we as the people of God are able to work through past conflicts, 
the more we're able to display the wonder-working power of our God to be a holier and holier church body, to be a witness to those within the workplace, to be a witness to those in our family. Like, if you're a college student and you gave your life to Jesus during your college years, like, you probably now, on the other side of the faith line, now that you're following Jesus, you probably act differently around your parents. And you're being a light because of that. You're being an example of a follower of Christ to your parents. And that's an amazing witness. And so that's what we're seeing in the text here, that restoration, it's possible, and restoration is worship. And so that's why we as believers get this opportunity to not avoid, to not push away, to not do the awkward, well, I'm not going to be around you sort of thing, and engage in the conflict. And in doing that, we're going to be able to be such a witness to people around us. And so Jesus' heart is to not play a theological game when brokenness is the reality, but, like verse 25 says, to come to terms quickly with the accuser when conflict exists. To work through the issue before you even get to the judge here on earth or in the end. Before we stand before God, we have the ability to work through conflict with God, with those brothers and sisters and enemies and lost people around us that we might hold bitterness towards. And so Jesus' challenge is that the people of God would not play church when holding bitterness. They wouldn't play church when there's unresolved matters. And because of that, as we're working through that, we're able to experience freedom rather than imprisonment. That it's referencing in, in verse 26. It's talking about you're, you're going to be imprisoned until you have that conversation. And so if we choose to work through the conflict, we're also granted the blessing of freedom and not harboring bitterness. And I think we can get on board with that and understand that because it does feel really weird to us. And I've been there, but it feels really weird to us to be here on a Sunday morning or Thursday and just praising the Lord and just singing the songs and engaged in the music. While at the back of our mind, we're really thinking about how we were a jerk to our cousin yesterday. Or we had that blow up conversation in the workplace just two days ago, when we push that aside and we have that guilt in the back of our heart and mind, have that shame, but then we just try to raise our hands and worship. But wouldn't it be amazing if we weren't so close-fisted with those broken relationships in our lives and came before the Lord and before that other person and said, hey, let's work through this. Imagine what it's like to worship then when we don't have that shame and that guilt and those walls built between us. Like we're supposed to run with each other. Not with blinders on. Like we're supposed to be family. And so if we're part of the family of God. We ought to be engaging in the conflict. And so Jesus is calling and equipping. To restore relationship. It's the father's will. It's part of the gospel's purpose. And beyond that it's our greatest joy. And I'm not promising that engaging in conflict means that it's going to be mended. We don't have that promise in Scripture for here on earth with every friendship and relationship we have in life. And that's the scary part. Like, it's scary to go out on a limb and try to work through some past conflict, and then it doesn't go well. Like, we don't feel joy in that necessarily. But when we show up to at least work through it, we are being faithful to Scripture and we are doing what we can because we can handle our response. We can handle our reaction to something. And so there's this coming clean 
that we get to experience when working through conflict that really does lead to joy. Like, it's not joyful to set up the time to have the hard conversation. It's not joyful to, like, awkwardly sit down and be like, well, I wanted to talk to you about this thing. And it's like, that's not the joyful part. The joyful part is going with the Lord in it and seeing that the Lord is faithful when that conversation is finished. And to see that the Lord is faithful, even if it happened again. And to see that the Lord is blessing our unity with him as we're working through this conflict, even if it isn't ending in the way that we would hope. But the thing is, in a broken and lost world, like we can't expect every relational dynamic to always be mended. But we can show up. We can do our part in humility because we're called to and commanded to in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if someone's a follower of Jesus, they have a personal relationship with him through faith. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the new heart, has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's part of our job as a believer to reconcile. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So there's this push from Jesus to the crowds, to his disciples, to the people who are near and dear to his heart, and to the stranger. There's this push to be able to work through conflict as the people of God so that the world can see the witness of God at work in this messed up world that we live. And so he's calling the people here to not be involved in friendly fire, but to work through the conflict, to be able to be unified together and move forward in the forward progress of the gospel rather than being caught in a war zone within your own family. There's a distant relative in my uh, family who I don't really know well, uh, but my mom was uh, telling me about uh, the, the situation a, a few weeks back. And there's someone in our family who uh, passed away about a year ago, I think, and uh, their spouse uh, had the, the will prepared and everything, and um, some of the, the kids in that family, their response in seeing the will and what they were or weren't getting because of it, it shredded them apart. And like big threats between siblings and for some no longer talking to mom. And I think we all have some sort of conflict, maybe not that big, maybe not in that specific way, but we all have some of that tension in our heart that's like something is not right about that. And if we're looking at God's word here together and we're seeing we're liable to judgment for holding on to bitterness, to holding on to anger, we can see that God's word is calling us to work through it. Restoration is possible. Restoration is worship. And even though it's really hard 
to, to talk through some of those situations because a lot of times conflict exists because of something sinful that maybe happened at us, a choice that we didn't even make, but it's created this distance and separation because what they said or what they did was really, really hard. And it sucks that that stuff happens, but if we want to be able to have unity and togetherness as the people of God, if we want to be a witness, then we are called to show up in that conversation and seek restoration because that is who our God is. He's about restoration. He's about reconciliation. And so Jesus called them and equipped them to restore relationship. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I do not want to go there. My challenge with that is like, is the, the bitterness and the imprisonment that you feel in your heart when you see that person walk into the room really worth it? And even though it's tough, God's word calls us to enter into that. And if you're in here and you're feeling that conviction, as I was feeling some this last week, and you want restoration, here's what we do. Uh, there's uh, a couple slides I have up on the screen. Um, the, the first step we have to do in seeking restoration is urgently go to the Lord. Because that's where restoration first has to happen. Like, we have to have a relationship with God to understand the things of God. And so we need to go to the Lord in those different examples we can come up with in our mind. We need to go to the Lord with that. And sometimes, often, we need to bring wise counsel into that. And so we urgently go to the Lord, seek counsel, and with that, we own what we can own. Because if we can be humble before the Lord and understand how, yeah, we're sinners and probably have some issues within our heart, we show up there first. We, we say, God, I am sorry for this. I understand how I have wronged my sister, my brother, my friend, my coworker, whoever it may be for you. You own what you can own before the Lord. You own what you can own before wise counsel. You pray through that. You read God's word with that. And then you build a plan for restoration. You turn to God's word to understand how to find restoration. And the second step that we can do in seeking restoration, though hard, we lovingly go to that person. And even in that setting, you own what you can own. You show up humbly before them. Confess all the sins against them that you can think of. And in your humility, they're going to see and understand. It's like, oh, wow, that's different. Like, I did not think you were actually going to own some things. But if you're showing up with your hands open, hey, this is, I understand how what I said or what I did was wrong. You're taking some walls down by saying that. And so you own what you can own. You share that desire for unity that we see in Scripture. I'm not making this up. Anthem's not making this up. It's God's word. We share the desire for unity. And then with them, you build a shared plan for restoration. And my mental picture that I have with this, I kind of got it from Stan, kind of got it from a book. But you imagine yourself sitting at a table with whatever person you're in conflict with. It's tables between you. And you know that you love the Lord, and you know that you're called to love them. And then on that table, you build a plan to get you out of the tension and mess you feel in your heart. You're owning what you can own there. 
You're throwing the details of the conflict out there. You're saying, this is what we know. This is what I feel. And then with them, this person that you're learning to love, even though they might be a pain, and they're thinking you might be a pain too, you build a plan for restoration based off of God's word, based off of a place of humility in your heart. Why? Because you want to be able to display a picture of God and how you interact with other people. And so you build that plan for restoration. You have accountability, have other people involved in it. So it's not just like, oh yeah, I did the thing. And then you actually didn't do the thing because no one knew that you were going to do the thing. Bring other people in on it. And then when necessary, have a mediator. No guilt in having a mediator. Sometimes it is such a blessing to have another person sitting in on really, really hard conversations. That's a truth in counseling, whether like individually or in marriage. There's something about having someone else mediate and help you see your sin and help them see their sin. And sometimes that one, bringing in that mediator, that might have to happen quite a bit sooner in that progression. Because sometimes conflict runs so deep and it's so sensitive that having a third party in that sooner is what's needed. Jesus calls us to seek restoration. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be buddy-buddy with the person for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that you have to be really close friends that live in the same area. Talk about the good old days until you're gone. Like, it doesn't mean that. We're called to restore relationship. And so it's going to look different in each situation. John Stott says that if we want to avoid committing murder in God's sight, we must take every possible positive step to live in peace and love with all men. We can't simultaneously embrace Christ while villainizing our brother, while villainizing our sister, while villainizing our parents. If we want to embrace Christ, we need to be able to Embrace others in love through the power of him in you. And so the rhetorical question is, are you building walls up in your relationships? Creating more and more tension and drama? Having more acts of verbal violence? More acts of, yeah, I'm just not going to go there and avoid the topic and be silent? Or even though it's hard, are you going to trust the Lord to tear those walls down and work through the hard thing? So that you're not caught in friendly fire. But that the spirit of God would bring unity there. Rather than division. So you can move for the forward progress of the gospel. Because that's what it's about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the gospel going forward. That's what we're about. That's what we want to see. That's what God calls us to do. And if we want to do that well. Then we have to be able to work through conflict. And engage in the hard thing. We're at a critical time in our country right now. 2020 is a year. It's a year, right? It's exposing that sin and life is hard. There's corona stuff, racism, the rioting. I mean, last week we lost a student in our college ministry. Like, there's been a lot of really hard things. And a lot of that stuff has had to do with conflict. It's an election year. It's going to create some more conflict. And so it's a critical time in our country. But I would... Oh, man, so much argue that it's also a critical time in your home and in your life. 
And part of doing well with conflict beyond these walls is learning to deal with conflict here. And is for you to be learning how to deal with conflict back home. Or you how to deal with conflict in the workplace. And so Jesus calls us to fight for restoration where we can. To be an example of a Christian who fights for the right team. Because we're about godliness and gospel progress. And we're not about being right. And we're not about proving a point. But we're about the gospel. Jesus calls us and he equips us to restore relationships. So let's be a people that are about that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, we just, yeah, we praise you for your word, for the clarity and direction that we can have in our lives from it. And for those in here who maybe don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would know and see that if we confess our sins before you, we say, Lord, I am sorry for the sin in my life, and God, I need you, and God, I desire for your son by the power of his spirit within me, to be your child, God, that those unbelievers in here would enter into that, God. And for those who have been walking with you for years or months or weeks, whatever it is, God, I pray that we all would be people open-handed before you, working through the conflict with you, with wise counsel, and seeking out our brother, our sister, where that tension remains. God, would you gift us with wisdom in how to work through the critical things in our life, in our home, in our stories, right now, God. In Jesus' name, amen.